0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Rolina Camello with Trans International Trucking welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Lee.
0: Well, I before, appreciate that. Before we get too far into things, tell us about Trans-International Trucking. How are you serving folks?
1: So what we do is we do container drainage. So all those containers at the port of LA and Long Beach, those big ships that are there, our trucks go in and we pull those containers out and we bring them to local distribution centers here in Southern California.
0: Now, um, for the people who aren't uh, super familiar with supply chain and logistics, can you explain the importance to that activity you're doing and just the activity in and around transportation that a lot of people don't realize the importance of? And I think they're kind of the unsung heroes of this economy,
1: yeah, absolutely, and I think a lot of us seen seen that in the in the, um, in the media this over this last year after the pandemic. Um, but the importance is that you know it's not quite the end of the of the um, the supply chain, you know, the in route, but it's the major point where the containers are going to the warehouses, and then from the warehouses, um, they pull the freight off, and and the commodities that we're moving is anywhere from you know clothing, apparel to you know important items like you know um, you know essential goods that we need to have on the shelf for retail. Uh, So it it all kind of plays a part in this. That's why they call it supply chain. So we're part of that chain of bringing the containers to the the warehouse distribution centers. So it's it's very important. It's very vital because there's a lot of different regulations, too, that we have to pull through, you know, stay operating here at the Port of LA and Long Beach
0: and it's one of those things where it's just very complex a lot of folks touch each thing and it all has to kind of work seamlessly so the consumer gets their what they're looking for in an efficient manner and it just it's this remarkable dance that i just don't feel like people understand how hard it is to do because right. it, it looks so easy when you just show up at your store and there's always the thing you want on the shelf
1: Correct, correct. And there's there's a lot of challenges that come into play. Um, you know, a lot of things could happen, you know, and right now the inventories are so high, which is actually a good thing. But, you know, the volumes uh, that we're seeing coming in from Asia is very low. But yes, we do play a very intricate part. Uh, there still is another part where we do and we also Trans International does this part of the transportation, too, where we have trucks that pull from the distribution centers to the actual store door. Um, so we actually do deliveries like to the Kohl's and to the Rosses of the world for retail.
0: And um, what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in this line of work? It's fascinating.
1: So very fascinating. And I actually started, you know, just as a, a job doing data entry for a trucking company here in Long Beach. And um, it was so interesting to me, you know, I grew up in Long Beach, and I saw the port structure grow, you know, from, you know, kid going to high school out here. And I, I just kept staying with it. I did different jobs within the trucking um, company. I took a global logistics specialist course at Cal State University of Long Beach and realized that, wow, it's not just dredge. there's a whole supply chain of different things that happen. And I just found it so fascinating that I made it my career. And I've been here, you know, for about 23 years plus in the industry, but that's how I started. I started just doing data entry and then customer service and then working my way up.
0: Now, how have you seen the industry evolve? Because um, it's it's probably not your grandfather and grandmother's uh, supply chain as it was when you were uh, starting out.
1: Right, right. Well, it's very interesting, you know, uh, how the containerization changed and and the Pacific's um, east and west trade out of Asia. Um, It really started to get its boom in the 80s, I see, um, just by, you know, some of the studies that I did. And they started to realize, you know, uh, all these steamship lines started building bigger ships and bigger vessels. And as they started building, so did the port structure grow. Um, And if you go over the bridge there, you can see there's it's just an ocean almost of, of containers. Everywhere, and I believe that you know as 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 the global economy started to grow, so did um, the ocean freight, and so um, it just kind of took off from there.
0: And when uh, more, when uh, the ships were putting more and more um, containers on them, then they had the ports had to dig deeper and deeper, right? Like the, this was kind of a domino effect. If you want bigger boats, then you have to have bigger ports to handle that size of a, of a ship.
1: Yeah. And, and and believe it or not, they're still working. They're still dredging more space um, to offload more container ships. I mean, that, that I think is going to be a, an evolution that never changes. Um, now the terminals are working on automation um, just so that they can Operate more efficiently. So it's really come a long way. There's been tremendous growth. And, you know, just over the last few years, you know, of us having the influx of many vessels calling at the terminal at once and being able to handle all those container moves. Um, you know, I think we've kind of seen the need even more. And, you know, we're, we're, there are really still working on the infrastructure as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely an ever evolving industry, challenges every day. Um, and that's, I think one of the reasons why, uh, I stay in this industry, you know, never a dull moment. (laughs) Now, um, on the
0: boats are those containers that like every container kind of goes onto an 18 wheeler, uh, chassis so that it can uh, be sent. How many containers can fit on, on some of these large vessels?
1: Um, some of them are about 8,000, um, to 10,000, uh, we call them TEUs, which is a uh, 20 equivalent unit, uh, or 40, uh, FEU, 40 equivalent unit. So the, a lot of these vessels are, are about 8,500 or even uh, 10,000. We even have some that are up to 18,000. Uh, not too many of them, but uh, yeah, we they, they can go up to bigger than the Eiffel Tower.
0: And it's one of those things, if you've ever had the opportunity at a port to see one of those ships coming in, it's just boggles the mind how many containers there are. It just, the size is just, it's just difficult to really imagine unless you see it with your eyes. And then just look at that, that's going to turn, you know, all of that's going to hit a highway somewhere or hit a warehouse somewhere. And uh, it's just crazy the amount of goods that are transported this way.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, um, for your work, who is your ideal customer? Who, who are you good partners with?
1: So there's a variety of different partners that that a uh, trucking company who does drainage and over the road works with. Um, primarily we, we always like to work directly with the with the shipper or we call it the BCO, the beneficial cargo owner. Um, but we we have relationships with them as customers but another partner that's very strategic for us is also the steamship lines um, they already have the relationship with the vcos and they're also helping um, what they call door deliveries so they'll orchestrate and and you know communicate with us and have us you know pick up the container for them and bring it to their customers door or to their warehouse so it's kind of between those two and then there's also another party which is a freight forwarder and and they actually contract freight as a third party through uh, the steamship lines. And so they can also be a uh, customer of ours as well. So the, it, it kind of gets a, a you know, it, there's a broad spectrum of, of folks that we work with um, that need their containers delivered. And usually, you know, um, it filters right down to the BCO, which is why that's, the, those are our major players.
0: Now for you personally, as your career was starting to blossom, um, did you get involved in any uh, trade associations or business associations to kind of immerse yourself in the industry?
1: Yes, I did in fact that was um, that was one of the, the the key things that kind of opened my eyes to you know so many different facets of the industry um, and um, the first trade association that I signed up for was the Los Angeles Transportation Club. And I have always been a big believer on staying involved in a lot of these social networks and associations because you you meet other colleagues in your field as well as others that are in other fields and you learn about their challenges and and we start to work together. And I I feel that r- From right now in 2022 compared to 1998, we've opened up our eyes and we've all working together as a team to try to, you know, have the cargo move fluently and try to help each other help each other, if that makes any sense. But I've always been big on pushing folks to, you know, come to these meetings, learn about what each other is doing, learn about what challenges are ahead, and then also learn about each other's successes and how we can, you know, operate our business more efficiently.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice, especially to young people that are new to an industry. Uh, it's such a wonderful way to kind of learn more about the industry and also demonstrate some leadership by getting involved and volunteering and meeting colleagues that could help you get your next job or, um, you know, just really influence your path and your career.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's kind of what happened. And through the years, I've made some really great friends, great connections, and business connections as well.
0: So now, um, uh, in in the association you're a member of today, are are you taking up leadership positions? Like, what's your roles in them?
1: So so now I'm involved in the FTA, which is a Foreign Trade Association. Um, one of the board of directors for that um, that conglomerate, and they they're primarily of customs house brokers. Um, so they handle all of the legalities of cargo that's moving from overseas here and then also export and import side. So um, that... This is an organization that I just became involved in over the last few years. And it's been kind of uh, it it hasn't there hasn't been a lot of activity because we've all been working from home. So it's been a lot of Zoom calls uh, meeting with the team. Um, But, you know, they're a great organization for me. I've learned so much about some of the challenges that they have um, overseas with factories and such and um, what customs is doing as far as clearing cargo and things like that. Um, another association that I'm involved with in—I'm um, not a board of directors, but I'm—I'm I'm a very active member—is the Harvard Trucking Association. That—that um, that organization is a key player for you if you are in the dredge business and it's because they they do a lot of, of battling for us um you know over rules and regulations that we don't even know about that's coming our way um you know i hear there's there's about 100 new laws passing um you know monthly almost for uh against our trade and we don't even know about them so it's very good to stay involved and keep you know our company abreast of what challenges are ahead so that we can make sure that we operate efficiently
0: yeah that's a key point that A lot of these associations are advocating for the people that are doing the work in the industry because sometimes uh, politicians are making rules and laws that impact your industry and they don't really understand maybe the full scope of the ramifications of some of those rules and laws.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it and that's another thing that I, I do too. Besides the being involved in the association, is I, I'll meet with other colleagues um, weekly just to touch base and, and you know educate them on what I'm experiencing here. We have some challenges ahead of us. We have a uh, new car rule ruling coming out where they'll ban trucks that are 2010 and older out of the portability and Long Beach, which is going to drop about 30 percent of capacity. Um, And that's just around the corner. So a lot of folks don't know about that. And so, you know, just a lot of educating and and just cross-referencing to find out like what you're doing about it. Do you have the right key players in place so that you can continue to operate efficiently through these challenges?
0: Yeah, education is so important. And it's also, um, you have to get ahead of these things because- I I see it so many times that that uh rule is passed or regulation is passed and they don't understand the unintended consequences of that. <laughs> you know, a couple years down the road, and then all of a sudden everybody's scrambling and they're like, "How did this happen?" And, you know, it could be one sentence in a big you know uh, legal proceeding that happened, and all of a sudden now it's a fire drill for everybody.
1: Right. And and one of the things too, Lee, about being ahead of the curve is that there's also incentives in play for those who who want to be ahead of the curve. Um E V trucks is another big Term that we've been all dancing around here over the last year, uh, electric trucks. Um, uh, years ago, it was LNG. It keeps getting more and more um, complex, and uh, we have a, a big goal to hit zero emission here in the next five years. Uh, so, you know, it's it, I always find it fascinating educating you know myself so that I can educate my team here at Trans International on what regulations are coming up, and then what options do we have for electric vehicles and electric trucks. Um, and then how's that infrastructure going to look? How's it going to roll out? What days and, and what locations are they looking at putting this infrastructure in place? So there's a lot of things that you can do. And I feel like knowledge is key. And it's, it's almost like you're investigating every day on, on what new things that you can do and what things you can take advantage of as well.
0: Now, um, what other trends do you see kind of moving ahead in the trucking uh, world? Uh, you mentioned uh, electronic vehicles. What are you seeing any of these autonomous vehicles popping up or is this kind of still a uh, science fiction dream?
1: I you know what it it's funny you mentioned that I was just talking to a colleague yesterday and um it is very real. I, I'm not sure, you know, the rollout date. I know there's a good handful of people that are are for it, um, just for for safety reasons and also because capacity. Um, I, my opinion might be a little bit jaded on that. I mean, you, you, you hear what's going on with Tesla and their, you know, um, automated driving system. And it's just, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I don't think that it's something that we, um, you know, that's pie in the sky. I think it will, it will come to pass. It's something that, that I think it's inevitable. Um, And and there's lots of different ways to use that automation. It could be just on a local move or, you know, something to that nature. There's a lot of the RTGs at the terminals that run automated and they move containers and there's nobody even in the truck driving it. And that happens now through, uh, I believe it's through uh, magnetic technologies.
0: Now, what about the kind of driver shortage? You've been hearing a lot of that. Uh, Is there some uh, room in that area for some solutions that can alleviate some of that,
1: you know what? That, that's, I think the driver shortage problem is something that I've seen, you know, throughout the, my last 20 years in this industry. Um, we've always had uh, difficulties keeping drivers and retaining drivers, um, fighting to get the drivers paid properly and things to that nature. It's always something that, you know, a lot of people are now thanking drivers and we have driver appreciation days and such, but it's, it's always been a challenge to keep drivers into, uh, bring new drivers into the community. One of the hopes that I've heard, you know, out there within my associations is that with these new electric vehicles and newer truck models, it's a a lot different ride. It's not like riding your normal diesel truck. And so it it makes it, you know, a lot, I guess, a lot more attractive for younger drivers to step into the seat and, and take up that gig.
0: Now, what do you need more of? How can we help you?
1: Um, you know what? I I would say I nobody really knows who Trans International is, and I'm trying uh, to market my company. Um, a lot of people don't know who we are. We've been in business for 25 years, uh, but we've been very busy with our customers that we've had long-term relationships with and we're ready to grow. We're going to be starting up a new operation out in Houston, Texas, and in Savannah as well, um, as we see continual container growth and movement out that way. So um, just marketing and you know, telling folks about trans-international trucking and, uh, and what we do.
0: And then if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on the team, what's the website?
1: Um, our website is www.transinttrucking. So that's
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much, Lee.
0: All right, this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.